Hey, what's up, everybody? This is IT. I want you to do something for me. Make sure you download and subscribe Library Rap, the hip hop interviews with Tim I and Cal. It is oh fucking official. All right, stop playing. Download and subscribe Library Rap, the hip hop interviews. With Tim Iancal. Cold. Or should be. The hood seeing more and more tears. President Puss wins. A brother's out say bye. Or fucked without KY. Getting all smushed Nah, y'all here. I was trying to figure out an intro for my next guest, but having was having a tough time writing one because he's an incredible MC. He has one of the best flows out there, and I'm honored to talk to him. I eventually read what he wrote on his Twitter handle and thought this was a perfect way to introduce him. So here it goes. He writes, human, son, brother, father, juggernaut, teacher. He's Breeze Bruin, and I want to welcome him to the Library Rap Hip Hop Interviews with Tim Atkel. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, man. I appreciate it, man. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, we want to talk about the new album, uh, your debut solo album, um, which is kind of incredible to think about. But I first want to take us back to 1995 and Fondle and Records. Yep. Um, the Juggernauts released their self-titled LP, The Juggernauts, uh, then. For, if you could just take us back and say, what is the significance of Fondle Records to you on your career, but also to many artists like MF Doom, Cage, The Arsonist, uh, you know, we know it was owned by Bobito, but what's that significance to all of you? I mean, to us, it was, I mean, it was almost like we couldn't ask for anything better at the time. I mean, I'm speaking first from the juggernauts. Um, after getting dropped and, you know, kind of developing this relationship with Bob that came through Pete, Pete Nice. Um, it definitely, like, he was just like a, a cat that you, you knew understood music. So when you put your music in his hands and, um, if he appreciated it, you knew that you had something. Mm-hmm. So after we, we decided to, you know, release the music with Fondalum and that definitely took us like deeper into, um, I want to say that era of, of the underground mm-hmm. and independent, um, artists. And that's why I met like the Q uniques and cage. I wish I, you know, Knew more. Um, I spent more time with Doom. I, I didn't get to build with him that much, but Sciences of Life, John Robinson, mm-hmm. um, you know, just a lot of dudes that I that I respected. Um, I became fans of theirs. Hopefully, they became fans of ours. And um, it was like a farm system almost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of cats went on to continue their careers. I still talk to dudes who I consider label mates from Fondalum. Uh, I just did a joint with Copyright off of his new release. Oh, wow. And, um, which is amazing. And, um, I think about, you know, Jakai, Kamu, Subcon. I mean, there's a long list of dudes, you know, cats remember maybe, you know, certain cats stand out because they were like ourselves who were like part of the earlier releases. Godfather Dawn and Cool Keith, Center Bites. But, it went on for a while. Um, Nuthouse, Jax, you know, when mm-hmm. I think about Binkus, um, that was all fun of them. And it, it went, you know, it represented like what, what Bob wanted it to represent, just like independent music, 
um, music that could stand on its own, music that would be able to reach people without, with a minimum of promotion, just music that kind of excelled and I guess spread on its own. Mm-hmm. So, um, to be able to be a part of that was, was, you know, was an amazing, I guess, stroke of luck almost. And, um, you know, I wish I threw out more stuff with Fondalum. We, we threw out that one release and, you know, other cats put out multiple, you know, we never threw out a 12 inch, never threw out like, you know, a single. Right. And, uh, some of those Fondalum singles were, were classic. I think of the Cage Radiohead single. I think of, uh, obviously the Doom, Hey, Gas Draws, you know, uh, Arsonist, um, yeah. the session. Um, so, you know, it, it, it definitely was, a label that I think set the tone for that era. Maybe it, it gets, um, it doesn't get viewed with the kind of attention that it should. You know, other cats came, you know, Raucous came up on the heels of that. Um, other labels, you know, popped up soon after. But I, I feel like, like, um, Fondalum was definitely the trendsetter for that era. Was there, Amongst artists on the label at that time, was there a, was there an end goal for you guys in terms of, I mean, you guys are obviously up against, um, I mean, the big, obviously like big label, like bad boy, right? Uh, but was there, you know, I mean, what was the long-term goal for all of you? I mean, was it, did you guys see it more as a stepping stone or did you hope that there would be some, you know? Bob kind of set it up as that. You know, it was like, I'm going to release the music. It's going to be, you know, just gentleman handshake agreements. He was trustworthy. Um, never had no issue with nothing business wise, but it was definitely like, look, I'm going to throw this out. If I dig it, if I don't, I won't. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you're free to go whenever you, oh, wow. you choose. So he wasn't trying to tie nobody up. There was, I, I can't think of anybody who had any kind of, you know, issue in regards to Bob trying to retain him or, or slow him down. He was really just trying to break music. Right. And, um, that he felt was in line with his aesthetic and his perspective in regards to good music. And then I carried on later when it's a fruit meet, you know, but it wasn't nothing like, you know, I honestly, I think. Even maybe Bob, you know, saw like what Raucous did and he was like, Dag, you know, when I remember him coming in the Fat Beats once and, and we were talking and he was like, you know, they got a good roster, but he was like, but pound for pound, I feel like we got the same on, on, on Fondalum. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, they, you know, they really were trying to develop artists, you know, not that Bob did it, but it was on a different level. Right. Like he would give you the gems and then he, you know, the training wheels are off. When you look at something like Raucous, you know, those dudes, you know, there was definitely more of a follow through and they had the resources behind them to do so. Bob pretty much went on his word and his rep and, um, you know, he utilized the resources he had in regards to, you know, his reach. But he, I don't even think he went crazy with that. It's not like, you know, in regards to the show, like we were played like other artists, you know, right. we definitely got love because it was, you know, Bob and Fondalum and his project, but I don't think he went overboard. He was always just trying to make sure that 
as many people as he could and as many, you know, he just trying to reach people with new music, interest in music. But as far as like, you know, was it some type of extensive plan for, for any of the artists? I don't even, I don't think so. You know, of course, I have to ask you about the juggernauts and, the, and, and, and I think what's great about you guys is that it's, it's you and your two, your two siblings. If you could kind of talk about the music, I, I have two others. I have two siblings as well. I have three boys, but if you talk about the music that was being played in your house, that kind of you guys bonded over or even had sibling rivalries over, uh, how did that come? To, and, and can you talk about that? But also how, how, when did you all three know that you had this, this passion for, uh, hip hop music and hip hop culture? Well, in, in our house, I mean, it was a little bit of everything. Um, I would say early on, the majority of music was, was Caribbean. So there was a lot of like Mighty Sparrow and Bob Marley and, and Gregory Isaac. You know what I mean? It was like a lot of that, you know, just every day. You know, my mother's from Jamaica, my father's from Trinidad. And then obviously soul music. There was other soul music. My uncle, um, both uncles, they love soul music. Um, American, more American. And then it was just, you know, what you would hear um, on the radio. So um, that's pretty much what we listened to. My dad had records, but he didn't have records like my uncle's. So when it, um, we would go to my uncle's house and he would really like show off, you know, he would have some, he would have some things. And, um, you know, at, 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 as far as the hip hop, it was just, pretty much permeating throughout our neighborhood. Like we grew up in, uh, I'm talking early, early eighties. I'm talking all facets. So whether it was the trains were getting bombed, right. um, you know, there were block parties, fairly common. And there was definitely graffiti as far as everybody had their little, their little, um, their books, right. you know what I mean? And uh I couldn't tag for shit. So um, <laughs> I, I I just went away from that. But as far as um we had like heroes around us. Like Rick lived in our neighborhood. We saw Rick early on, you know, patch sometimes without the patch. Mm-hmm. There were other cats. Um my man Quayshawn, he had a deal with Epic, uh Grayson and Jason. Uh they were working with Rick. And then I mean, from our block, we could walk straight into Mount Vernon. It was like a two-block walk, and we were in Mount Vernon. So we were hearing about have. Yeah. We were hearing about, you know, just, I mean, I didn't hear about Pete until a little bit later, but definitely heard about have early on. Heard about Puff. Uh, Puff went to Mount St. Michael. So um, I remember Mount parties, Mount St. Michael school parties that Puff had organized. I remember... um our Savior Lutheran dances that Flex organized. Um, I went to grammar school with Funkmaster Flex. Um, I remember him DJing um, parties <laughs> like for his friends. So it was it was really just all around our neighborhood. This is the Northeast Bronx. This is like Gun Hill up, you know. So it was it was cool. Like you didn't have to go nowhere. Like we had the whole Slick Rick album. Basically, there was a tape that was circulating in our neighborhood with a different version of Treat It Like a Prostitute, different versions of, of um, 
I wasn't in the in town. What spots my eye? Like there was, we had there was a tape that was just like float floating around the neighborhood that we would play, and when our mom would come in, we would stop the tape. <laughs> but this was this was like Slick Rick, you know. Before I don't know if he got signed, he got a deal off of this, but that leaked through the hood. So you ain't have to go far. Like it was it was all there, and the fashions and the dances, and you know, it was just it was a cool time. It was a cool time to grow up. So um I just remember, you know, going and getting the record. There was this a joint in Mount Vernon called Yellow Bird um records. And we'd walk over there and we'd we'd grab all the, the joints as soon as they dropped. The joints came on Prism, the first biz joint. But yeah, you know, that's 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 how we came up, you know. I think uh, I think uh, the Great Adventures of Slick Rick was probably the first album I memorized by heart. Yeah. And uh yeah. I memorized it before it was <laughs> before it was on Def Jam. So I, anybody else who who had those tapes, you know, y'all know what's up. They they were they were dope. You know, it was him in Vance, and sometimes it was like impeach the president, like break beats, and sometimes it was like just dudes with sound effects. But it was very four trackish, and I'm, I'm gonna look for those <laughs> somewhere on the net. I know they're out there. <laughs> Um, I want to, you know, Breeze, I want to ask you about the new album, but I also want to ask you about um, you being uh, one of my all-time favorite albums, uh, A, Prince, A Prince Among Thieves. You know, it was released 22 years ago this past week, I think. Uh, and it's obviously surrounded by amazing artists such as Big Daddy Kane, Roz, uh, RZA, Cool Keith, Everlast, De La Soul. Um, how did that, if I could just ask you, how did that connection happen with uh, Prince Paul? Um, it, it's... Like one of the luckier parts of being signed, mm-hmm. um, when we were signed, we tried to, um, they gave us like wish list of which producers would you want to work with. And it was as you could expect, you know, it was Pete Rock, um, Large Professor, Premier, Diamond D, and Prince Paul. So they had like, uh, um, in progress, Demos of joints that eventually made its way to the Fondalum release, and they made tapes. And I and I, the word was they sent them to these producers. Then we got dropped, you know. But while Paul was doing, he he it. I know it. Paul got it because he told me. So while he was doing the psychoanalysis tour. He said that he was playing this tape and um, he really liked it and he still wanted to work with me. And I guess the he wanted to work with me with Prince Among Thieves in mind. So at that point, we had been um, dropped. We had, you know, the Fondalum release came out and it did well, but it was never enough to, you know, I was a younger, I have older kids. It definitely wasn't enough to um, to live off. Of. Right. So at this point, I'm I'm working in a group home in uh, um, Westchester County, Dobbs Ferry, and I work at nights. And I get home, and then there's a message from Prince Paul, and I was very tired because I, you know, my shift was like ten thirty to I think like seven. Damn. 
And I, I'm like, yeah, very funny. And I go to sleep. So it was, you know, my first kid's mom. And she was like, um, all right. So I fell asleep. <laughs> I woke up and she was like, here. It's not a, it's not a joke. I talked to him. So I called him and he said that he had gotten my number from, um, Fat Beats. He Can said I he went to these? Fat Beats, you know, knowing that Can there I was, that there was the release through, um, Bob. And he figured he'd try to go there and get a contact. And the only person that had my number there was Eclipse. So Eclipse, who Paul thought was stretch, but that's, you know, whatever. <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. It's <laughs> a running joke in the underground, but, um, um, stretch never worked at Fat Beats and Eclipse ran Fat Beats. So right. Eclipse gave him the number and, um, I called him and it, it, it never stopped. Like he told me about the, the the idea for Prince Among Thieves, I was like, where do I sign up? And then, like, we got busy. Like, we got straight to work, you know? Is an album like that, is that something where he already has each track laid out? Or is there actually room for, like, a true, I mean, collaboration in terms of you inputting, you know, what do you think might work or what might not work? Yeah, input was 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 in in those, you know, the opportunities. Okay. Like he, he had the entire script written. He had all the beats done. He had everything done. All he needed was just, you know, I, I like to think of it as captions. My songs were like a caption for his picture. Mm-hmm. So it was like in this picture, it was like, I, right. he would, he would lay it out. He was like, uh, your man did you dirty and now you want to get some type of revenge. You right. want, you want to, you want to, you know, try to make it even on some level. That was you got shot. You know, so this is you giving up to handle your business. So he would, he would give you the outline and then you just had to fill it in. And, um, it was easy. Hmm. He really, he really, when it says conceived and directed and all that, like it was that. Like he, he had it all laid out. I, I don't know if you could be more prepared. For a project that's more complex than that, but he was, and yeah. I mean, how could he not be Prince Paul? Right, you know. It's not just being a great album, but it also had me uh, change the way I said "true" for the for the longest. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but, Definitely, uh, great album. Uh, so you know, I recently, um, you know, I tweeted out. I said I'm interviewing uh, Breeze Bruin, and who, you know, what would someone ask you? What would a listener ask you? And a listener tweeted at me, and he said, "And I don't, and I want to first ask you, do you think this is totally true?" But here's what he asked. He said. Um, why do you think other rappers your age refuse to touch subject matters directly related to the work day world or home life? Do you, one, do you think that's true? Do you think older rappers are shying away from that or, um, or do you think they're just still afraid to touch them? I mean, you know, hip hop, there's like this inherent coolness to it, right? And like most music, you know, rock music, it's like, you don't have too many rock music songs talking about mortgage, right? You know I mean, it's just, what? I can't, th- I can't think of one where it's like the mortgage song. Like, you know what I mean? But it's like, but at the end of the day, it's like, these are the things that are consuming us right now. Right. Like my mortgage to get my mortgage took a lot of work, took a lot of sacrifice. So 
if you don't really, if you can't sit back and, and, and look at a, a topic in a way that has some of the nuances, um, to make it interesting, then it's like you're just doing a mortgage song, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's a challenge, but I've never shot away from a challenge mm-hmm. creatively, you know? So it's like, if they're not doing it, okay. Um, but I, I, I think there are examples where cats have, have, have done a good job with that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I was, I was listening to players, uh, players anthem, the joint with, uh, uh, with Outcast and, and Bumby and them. Okay. And I'm like, these dudes is talking about, you know, they, they man getting married. Mm-hmm. But they freaked it. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, is it that's not pimping? It's the opposite of pimping. You know, that's not wilding out. That's that's like, yo, I'm considering setting, settling down and, and committing, and 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 you know, it's going to be a shift for me, but mm-hmm. a shift that's worth it. That's dope. They freaked it. You know what I mean? So I feel like you have to be able to like look at things from an angle that make it worth. You know, mm-hmm. talking about, and I think anything you could do that, but you gotta look for the angle, right? And maybe you know, I mean, getting ass, getting money, you know, th- those things are inherently salacious. They're inherently intriguing and engaging because people want, people want to get laid, people right. want to have money, but it's like. To me, it's just at this stage in the game, it's it's, it's a low hanging fruit. And if the, you know, if the young boys want to talk about all the old all the old cats, hey, fine. I just think at, at this stage in the game, just being a black man at forty six and and walking the earth, you're ahead of the game. You won. So find out ways to talk about that victory. Right. And you also have older guys and girls, women talking about health, health issues as well, right? I mean, and they do a very good, like, you know, Best Ace talks about multiple sclerosis on Fight Song with Farrah Monch. Hell yeah. And does it in a way where Farrah Monch is multiple sclerosis, which you're like, holy shit, of course Farrah Monch is multiple sclerosis, because Farrah Monch could do that. Sick as hell, yeah, <laughs> <That's> exactly. <laughs> it was amazing. So, um, I want to No, you're right though. I was thinking about, I was listening to, um, I think it was Fonte, he had to join, um, about about jeans, right? I don't know if you heard it off of his. Uh, I believe it was it was Fonte's solo album, and he was talking about jeans and this idea of you know, like honoring that and respecting what's in those jeans and living according to that and dealing with what is and isn't within your genes, your genetic makeup. And he did it so slick and subtle. There's a lot of dudes doing it the right way. Doing it in ways that I'm like, salute, you know? Let's turn to the new album, Hindsight. Uh, the, my understanding is it took about maybe a decade or so to complete. And when no you, more. And no more. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you think about artists creating projects, right, you usually, as a, as a listener, you usually think or envision that they have like a timeline set up, right? Like, the album will be completed by this date, we'll go on tour this date, and merch, merch and pr- promotion and stuff like that. Um, when you started this journey, what did you want this album? Like, what purpose did you want the album to serve to you? And then how did that change as the album, you know, took more time to complete? 
You know, I thought that the album, there's a song on there called Application. Mm-hmm. I actually wanted to do an album and have that be the focus. This idea of applying to the job of hip hop. And um, when I first thought of the concept of the application, I was like, all right, cool. It could talk about, you know, the ins and outs and the struggles and, and think about any job that's worth anything. There's some running around you got to do. So I wanted to explore that. Never got to the album level. It was good for a song. Mm-hmm. But the but the idea of like really just trying to submit an application, um, I feel like the album... It serves that purpose on some level. It's like, I'm back. And, and in a way, I feel like I haven't been away. I just haven't been present enough. Right. So I wanted to do, give them a body of work, just enough of me that could show the type of stuff that one, I want to give. And also within that kind of show where I've been, you know, mm-hmm. um, hints to that as well. So, um, that was really the purpose behind hindsight, you know, just like I am here. That's why I didn't want no features. I wanted to to just be me so I could be like, look, I get it. You know, I've been on a lot of other collabs and and all that, but I, I wanted to just really focus on myself and give the listener a heavy dose of just me there hasn't been one record yet that I've done that's just been me and um there's been a lot of me <laughs> and and other really talented people but that was by design mm. I, I say you you know mentioned the application so I want to skip to that 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 question where I, I was gonna ask you about the application anyway but I, I think it's an incredible track where you like you said, you take us on this journey of applying for hip hop. And, you know, I think there's a line in it where the person you're talking to says, Oh, you don't have any arrests. We could work on that or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Can, is there, have you, have you had that, you know, you, you I, I imagine I talked, I've spoken to artists where they've been in rooms with execs and they refuse to, I guess, want to sell a certain, you know, type of hip hop. They want to kind of set like a stereotypical type of hip hop, I guess. Um, have you been in rooms where this happens and what's that conversation that they're having? And I mean, is that conversation changing? I mean, the beauty of being independent is you don't have to be in those rooms anymore. Right. I remember meetings at East West, um, Electra, um, where they were looking at me like, you know, like an alien. It was like people were playing their songs and I was like playing what we were doing and they were like, what are we going to do with this? And then, you know, it got to the point where they even stopped asking. It was just like, we just got to drop them. We got to cut our losses. Meanwhile, they had still heard, you know, the I'm going to kill you's, the Clebu Skazes, the sex type things, the Love of Maxins. Like they heard what we had to offer and it just, they didn't see it as viable. Mm-hmm. So, not so much in regards to um, selling dist- more destructive mm-hmm. um, lives, 
it was just like commercial, commercial, commercial. And um, I, I think good music sells itself. I think there's a commercial, you know, I mean, I, at the time, our, our mindset was like, passing me by is selling. Right. They reminisce over you was selling. Don't, you know, slow down was selling. So it was like, we didn't understand Peach Fuzz was even, you know what I mean? It's like, these are, these are good songs are going to reach people. People will reach out, but they were just thinking, you know, lottery ticket shit. And we were more scratch off. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I do think like that line that you mentioned, I do think like this idea of we got to get off the poverty pimping with hip hop. Like mm-hmm. it just has to stop. Like I, I don't know. Like I get it. Like when they, when it, it, it became obvious at that point when certain negative images just got precedence. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't about Black Watch. You know, X Clan, even Brand Nubian. You know, it just, I just saw it change, and. I mean, it happens. You know, I'm a teacher. I have students who have been in jail. I, I spent, you know, I, I got, I've been in jail, you know, for a night or two from time, you know, one, once in my life. It's nothing to praise. Right. It's nothing to praise. But they do. Like, uh, those labels, it's like, they want that. Let's find, let's find a dude who is a loose cannon. Let's find a dude. And it, the thing that sucks is when you see that dude try to turn his life around, there's no support. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw an album last year. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the brother, but I listen. The kids make me listen. And I saw 21 Savage really trying to like get out here and make messages, like put put ideas out there for the people. Say say something, and it, it just I was like, damn, where's all that support? You know, when he was out here talking about all kind of ratchet stuff, like you know, all kind of violent or, or self destructive type stuff. They 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 were they had his back then, but when it comes time to you know like try to explore some, you know more reflective ideas, it's like they turning their back on these artists. So thank God for for the independent route. Um, and it's not like I'm you know I I still think I'm a storyteller. So our songs gonna come where I'm gonna try to tell stories that are more sorted, of course. I'm not going to exclude myself from that because that's, you know, that's a challenge. That's, I don't want to say it's fun. Yeah, it is fun. It's creative. Right. So it's like, I'm not saying you can't do that, but I just think it's like to force the personas to just, you know, to go so heavily negative and, and, and present these ideas like it's cool getting locked up. Like, come on, man, that's, that's, we got to stop that. There's a lot of things that are cool. I mean, if a dude gets locked up and he comes comes out and changes his life around, give him a platform. Right. And and I think I mean I think more to your point that that if it's if that if if the other side is pushed more on radio to the public that people will listen. I mean, I don't think you know they'll like the music. It's just like I mean, I remember. Years ago, I was an after school program director in Highbridge in the Bronx. 
And we did this whole experiment with like ripping the beat from lyrics and just having the kids read the lyrics. And this is when Big Pimpin' came out and I had the kids read that lyrics and I also had them read Where I'm From by Jay-Z. And the kids gravitated more to Where I'm From because that's something they it told a story and it's something more they can relate to. And then they kind of were able to actually finally read the lyrics of Big, Big Pimping and all the girls were just disgusted by the whole thing. Mostly, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, but, uh, I'm glad you were doing that, man. Like, you know, it, it's like we, we gotta be able to look at stuff that we, even we love or, or have been some, in some ways trained to love. We gotta try to pull them in isolation and, and just try to see what's going on, you know, or, or just to analyze the poetry like you would do, do any other poem. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you, you tear out the beat and you have words and that's what, you know, you're supposed to read the words. That's why you guys write them, right? So for us to read them. Um, your album, you know, the first track, right? It, it, and it's the opening track. I love it. It references, uh, President Bush and then the final track references, uh, Trump. Um, why did you set it up this way to kind of have these two as your bookends for the album or these two presidents, I guess? That was definitely purposeful. Um, when thinking how to start it and then thinking about gotta love it, it made sense chronologically. That was like kind of the, the catalyst for the whole solo project movement. And then thinking about the feeling of, wow, you know, when I made the, you know, wrote that song, started writing it in the studio with Seb, this was, you know, pretty soon after. Um, that inauguration for the second term for Bush. Um, you know, I wanted to bookend it in a way that when Gotta Love It came out, I was extremely, when we, when, when with Bush and all that, I was extremely despondent. I was like, damn, how are we going to get through this? And, um, that was justified. I mean, if if we think back to that Bush era, man, that was tough times. Mm-hmm. We're still we're still feeling that it's still reverberating. But um, but we did get through it. You know, I mentioned the the death of Old Dirty. I mean, tough times. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to end end it with the idea um, of the Trump joint. Because one, um, I wanted to do my part to make sure there wasn't another four more years. <laughs> you know, if you look at how we released that, that was the only joint we really released before the album. We released it on, on, um, the day that, uh, um, early voting started. Um, so we wanted to, like, it's great, sell records, whatever, get played. I wanted to get the message out. Um, and I wrote that halfway through the Trump um, term, only term. And um, what it ended up being, even more so than when I finished working on a song like in 2018, however bad things were in 2004 with the death of Old Dirty and the continuation of Bush, I wanted us to look at now and be like, we need to have hope. We need to like still continue to, to push and, 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 um, 
I guess, find a way to move beyond where we at now. And by the time it did drop and with the death of Doom, um, I definitely felt like a, some level of uh, parallelism, you know, where everything was inside those two moments. So um, it definitely made sense for for me for for it to end and begin like that. If if Trump did win re-election, would the ending of the album have changed for you? Nah, honestly, I felt one. I wanted to really hope he what he wasn't gonna win. Right. So I, I'm glad that you know at the end, a lot of people. I felt like one. There should have been more songs about him. Um, shout out to the Bassy, shout out to De La. Um, I mean, we had the ice cube joint where he, he shit on him and then lady goes and, you know, right. has brunch with him. So it's like, you know, there should have been more songs attacking him, which, you know, we gotta be better hip hop. Like, let's just, let's just say what, what it is. Like, hip hop be better than this. Um, but if he ended up winning, Four more years. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, it's, it would have been it would have been more of a continuation. Right. Thank God, thank God, it's not. Right. Um, you know, you spit on uh, God, love it. You spit like I like I got a choice with my style and voice. How that's looking type stupid to not exploit. Um, can you just talk about these lyrics and what they mean for you, and what do you want our list, the listener to take away from them? I mean, that joint right there is it's a little flexing. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, part of God of love it is like me being honest with the idea that, um, the pull had changed. Like it was like part of God of love it is do you love it? You know, um, and what happens if you don't? And just looking at it honestly, I was just like, hey, the game going to be fine. I can never rhyme again and the game going to be fine. Cause that's just how it is. There's mm-hmm. just so much talent out here and, and that's the greatness of this music. It's like next man up. Like people will miss you, but not really. So that was me kind of psyching myself up, you know? It's like, this is a reason. Like, of course you got to continue. Mm-hmm. How could you not? You got your style. You got your voice. You know, you got to exploit that. And that was me just really looking inside for some level of incentive. Um, to like push myself because I feel I do love it but sometimes you need some uh, convincing mm-hmm. you know internally uh, one thing I love that because of this podcast I really have I think more and more grown appreciation to the other elements of hip hop and not just the MC but you know the DJ and the graph and stuff like that so what I really appreciated about uh, on the uninvited is that it has scratches on it. Uh, and can you talk about the importance of the, this track, but also what, what's the importance of the scratch on this track and also the importance of scratches just for you? I mean, we got a great DJ, DJ Boo. Um, I think that, you know, you know, I, I used to try to cut a little bit. It's actually pretty, um, it's pretty, pretty therapeutic. Um, but to sound good and to sound like somebody like Boo. And other, you know, real scratch DJs. It brings something to the music that one is specifically hip hop. 
inherently hip hop. You know, it's like the hoop to a basketball game. You know, like scratching is that's part of the genesis. So, one, it sounds awesome, and two, it just you know it ties things together. For that song, it was like the cut simple. It's just you know the uninvited. That's it. That's all it says. Um. So for that song, it's it, it's it's really the exclamation mark tying. You know, the different verses together, tying the sections of the song together. Um, Bumpy Johnson is, is also cuts. Gangsta Love cuts. Um, PPT. Um, you know, like I, I don't want to force it. You know, I, I think it's good. Like you got, you got to really look for the moments for it. Right. But. But you also have to create the moments for it because it's just, it does something. It does something to the music. Like the joints that I don't have cuts on them, I almost miss them. I'm like, damn, I should order something, but you don't want to do that either. Right. You know what I mean? I want to make sure every cut was like mega meaningful, you know, to, to whatever the song was trying to do. And I'll ask you about, like, I, I think listening to your, all your music, you, you, you get the sense that you, there's, like, to your point, there's, there is a lot of thoughtfulness to what goes on, not just in your rhymes, but also the music around you. Um, so I want to take us to the, the final 35 seconds of taking notes. You totally stop rhyming and you just let the beat play out. Uh, why'd you make that decision? Honestly, that, that joint right there was, I wanted the echo of the last thing that I said. Um, you know, just for us to think about the importance, um, of really considering what kids are going through. So, like when we ended up mixing it, shout out to Parallel Thought. Um, you know, they, they just had it go and I was like, that works. That works. They were like, yo, should we do the hook after? I said, nah, just leave it like that. And it just, you know, that song is, is, is mega thoughtful. Like, it's, it's just, it means a lot to me in regards to, you know, the career that has really helped support even my hip hop career. But I love teaching for the way that one, it, I'm always around thinkers, people, young people, thinkers. And I'm trying to help them become better thinkers. Um, and it, it's just, it meant a lot to be able to talk about that process. Um, so to have it just ride out, you know, sometimes it's, it's just like, you want to like give the, the idea space to breathe a little bit. And, um, I thought that that was a good way for it to ride out. Hmm. Uh, you know, I asked you about the, the lyric and gotta, uh, gotta, gotta love it, which is, you know, kind of boasting about yourself. But then I think about, uh, the track PPT, which talks about pessimism and doubt that forces us and this force kind of could easily come from fans or friends, et cetera. But then you kind of listen, I, from my point of view, I listen to the song more and more and the pessimism also sounds like it's coming from yourself. Is, is that true? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think we'd be lying if, if, if we think that these negative ideas are purely external. They're not. You know, doubt's real. 
It is. But at the same time, when you, when you really doubt, um, it's usually pretty specific. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you know, you know what you think you can't do. And it's, if you really just look at every way to get around that, you know, that's when you come up with your game plan. You know, I remember, you know, a couple years back, I, I was like, yeah, I want to start doing pull-ups. I never could really do them. So I went, I researched, I looked at different progressions and eventually, you know, I figured it out. But for a while, there was doubt there. You know, you grab the ball and it's like, I ain't going away. So there's, there's an honesty to it, you know? Like nobody wants to talk about shit you can't do. Right. But you do. You think about it and there's an honesty to it. So even when people are, you know, are, are whatever, they, they're being negative, usually there's an honesty to it. And um, sometimes it's just mean and then other times it's like, I'm going to be real with you. You ain't shit about A, B, C, and D. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you you know, you could deal with that how you want to deal with it. You, you won't accept it. And in some cases you have to. But in other cases you could be like, all right, thanks for the tip. And that's really what PPT is about, internally and externally. They say you did something in this album that I haven't thought about in a minute, and you and and it's on the track King Oxymoron, produced by Marco Polo, where you 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 mentioned LimeWire, uh, and you talk about how LimeWire has um, changed. LimeWire Lime essentially changed the music business. Uh, can you talk about how LimeWire did change the music business, but also how maybe it even helped some artists get out there that weren't able to get out there before? Yeah, it definitely changed it. I think that that was, you know, that was a spark that Cats really saw in regards to, wow, you know, this digital shit is real. For me, for a minute, it was like I didn't think music was real unless I, got, I had it on tape <laughs> or I had it on vinyl. But you started to see people really like get that popularity going and, 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 and make moves. And it just became, it became the, the, you know, the means, um, with something like LimeWire for good or for bad, you know, cause in some ways it was like your music was getting out there unbeknownst to you in some ways, but it was getting out there. And that I think that might have led, you know, led other people to be like, all right, cool. Let me try to monetize this and, and, and formalize this. But, um, you know, it, it, it definitely, to me, it was the end of an era. You know, I mean, I remember you hear about Fat Beat selling 2,500 copies of this single, 5,000 copies of this 12 inch, like, no, no more of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, but it, it, it definitely sparked it. Like it just moved it in a different direction. And I think it, you know, the business models have caught up with it and, and, you know, your music's free. Everything you do, if it's digital, it's free. It's out there. They're going, they're going to get it. But because hip hop, I think has that history of collection and people don't just listen to your music. 
If they respect it, they're going to collect it in some way, shape, or form, whether it's vinyl or I look at um that bank hat model and man, you could live off of that. Man. You could do okay. So I'm still learning that. The business was never my strong suit. But, you know, after establishing, you know, Matic Records, you know, and I'm proud that we, we will produce, you know, presented this record with Matic and, and Fat Beats as a distributor. I'm learning. I'm learning that there's there's ways to utilize all of it, you know. There's ways to utilize the free stuff, you know. It's about reaching people and showing people, you know, that you care about the art form and you got something to offer. Most fans are, you know, they respect it. You know, that like they respect good music and they're going to find a way to support, you know. But I felt LimeWire was just the start of like, yo, your music's out here, fam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? We 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 could get at you. We we it's not a problem. Are you feeling or have you ever felt the pressure to you know be an artist that and not to say to be an artist that has to you know release 20,000 albums a year, you know? Um instead of like what we used to what you what everyone used to do is like there was one album, one tape and you waited a year or two to get it done, you know? Uh, do you feel that pressure now or? I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I feel more of an eagerness. There'll never be another record like hindsight for me. You know, like there'll, there'll be no wait. I've definitely shifted, uh, my methods of, of, of trying to get busy. And I, and, and for what it's worth, we've, we've built like our network. Um, I have my mix engineers. I have my mastering engineers. I have, you know, like dudes, I, we, you know, in houses, pretty much, you know, me and Slim, you know, shout out to my dude Dave and like dudes who are down with Matic. But then there's other dudes I'm just down with and where it's like I could trade and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm meeting new dudes every day thanks to, you know, the internet. Right. So I, I'm not worried about, you know, getting that support. Like I, I can get that little by little, you know, I, I'm, I got more music coming out this year. Um, I'm excited about that. I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to squander this. Like I, this is, this is an important, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful people appreciate what I'm doing. They didn't have to. Um, I'm grateful that people are just listening and enjoying it. And, and, you know, I don't want to, it, I, I'm not a professional, you know, I'm a teacher. That's my, my first thing. I love music, but at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I, I pay my mortgage teaching. Right. Um, but I, I, I would love to give five years of just like one, one and a half projects a year for the next five years, like an album, EP, album, EP, two albums, two EPs. I would, I just want to give people that because I mean, that's, that's the guy to love his shit, you know, with my style of voice. <laughs> like, I got a choice. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm out here. I got, I have it. I'm, I'm healthy. Um, you know, I think about somebody like the DOC and, and I, to me, that's one of the most tragic things in, in, in hip hop that nobody, you know, we don't think about on a daily basis, but that dude was pinnacle level, pinnacle. And it, and it got taken. At the time, I was like, damn, man, that's messed up. But 
as time goes by, that shit is tragic. It's yeah. tragic for the, you know, he stayed out here. He wrote, you know, he was involved in like certain things, but he did not have that voice no more. And I got mine. So it's like, I want to utilize it. I want to get out here. I want to make, you know, I want to pay homage to this art form that's meant the world to me for 34 years. I've been rhyming since I was 12. I fell in love with the music maybe two years before that. Wow. So, you know, I want to do right by it, you know? Um, I have a couple more questions. Um, you know, when, when the arsonist, speaking of the arsonist, uh, we talked about earlier, but when the arsonist, uh, you know, did, uh, rhyme time travel, right? They took mm-hmm. us through three different eras of rap, uh, with each flowed matching that era. Yep. Uh, you know, listening to your album and knowing that it did take a little more than 10 years to create, uh, I may just as a listener expect like maybe there's a change of flow be- based on, you know, whatever year you're listening to or maybe what music that you might be listening to at the time, but you don't do that. You, you stay true to your, yourself and in your voice. Uh, did you ever debate while making this album to kind of switch up your flow just to match kind of the era at, era at the time, era at the time or? Nah. Nah. I, I mean, I try to keep my flow as potent as I can. You know, I mean, I think that there's just like, it's not even if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing, but it's like, I try to make little subtle changes to improve it as time goes on. You know, um, first time I heard Percy P. Rhyme, I felt like he was an alien. I felt like he was, it was another world. And that was what, late eighties? His flow hasn't changed up that much. It's really him just trying to, you know, master that. Right. And if that's what it is, that's what it is. I mean, I've, I definitely have played with different cadences. Um, and I'll continue to do that. I'm, 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 I'm interested in that. Um, even just looking at dance hall and sometimes I listen to the young boys, you know, with some of the, the way they lock up with, with some of these trap beats. I just, I don't like trap beats. So it's like at the end of the day, um, like the beat is really gonna, you know, that's, that's the conductor. And I don't want to, you know, if there's a beat that'll take me somewhere else, I'll try to, I'll try to, you know, we'll dance together. Uh, use the confusion. It was like Slim came with this weird beat and I was like, okay, can't do no regular shit to this. Mm-hmm. And then it was it. We dancing. But, um, for the most part, I, I still, it's just still a beautiful thing to me. Just, uh, you know, just really embellishing, um, the beat and, and just going in, in that pocket, finding that groove and just making the most of it. That's, that's what I've always tried to do. Yeah, two more questions. Uh, the first question is, besides your own music, what is your kind of go-to album or maybe go-to track when you just, you know, day's done, kids are in bed, bam. Oh man, um, it changes so much. Of late, one of my go-tos has been, uh, Alchemist Freddie Gibbs 1984. Nice. That joint is insane. Just how he, you talk about, Flows, I admire that about him quite a bit. And um, 
I mean, there's just so much good music out here right now. Like there's so much that, um, it's hard, it's hard to even, you know, to pick one. I, I definitely dabble. I listen to the older stuff. I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, to pick up my daughter from school, it's like half an hour ride every day. I look forward to it. Today was, uh, you know, Mob Deep infamous day. Nice. So it was like, it was the first warm day and, um, just really listening to those Havoc beats and listening to, listening to just peak project, prodigy. It was just great escape, you know, but I'm definitely listening to new stuff. Um, trying to think what other joint, uh, I felt I've fallen in love with of late. Um, but if there's any one joint that I, <laughs> I heard myself just like playing like eight times in a row, it was, it was definitely 1984. That, that joint it starts with the, uh, with, with, um, Bernie Mac and it rolls into the, you know, this shit is hard, man. Alchem- <laughs> Alchemist is, he's something else. This stuff, there's moments where I try to listen to some new stuff and I'm just not feeling it. So I automatically play, uh, DMX's It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Uh, also a good go to. Just to also be like, <laughs> all right, there we go. Feeling good again. Nah, Feel you like- know, that's the beauty of, of, I think the oldies is like, we know we can, uh, we can shift our emotion and, and, and accentuate how we want to feel with that theme music, you know? And, uh, here's my last question. You know, you, you, you met, you, you're a teacher of, as you say, as you said, um, wh- so I assume you and your students talk about music as well, but what is that track that maybe your students introduced to that you were hesitant to listen to and you surprisingly liked it? Uh, I can't remember the track. I could tell you the artist. Uh, his name's Smino. Smino. I was, you know, they, I, I, I gave them stuff to listen to. You know, I think one day we were listening to, um, might have been passing me by. No, actually it was a, uh, a, a Kendrick song, um, Black Boy Fly, right? So we're looking at that and we're talking about conflict. And different levels of conflict. Great song for that. So they're like, this is alright, you know, but you need to check my man's out. <laughs> it was like, alright, who's your man? Let me hear. And it was Smino. And I wanted to be like, nah, but I was <laughs> like, he's alright. He got some bars. <laughs> so, you know, at this point now, it's like, I feel, Kids, they don't even care, man. Like, if if you could just cover up the date when the joint was released, mm-hmm. kids would be with, with whatever, wherever their soul takes them. Right. They're more open than, than a lot of us think. And and there's it's almost a push for, you know, quote-unquote throwback stuff. I know so many kids who love Big L. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. When Fabulous was doing that Freestyle Friday joint, there was like, I remember one student was like, it's Friday. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, all right, let's check it. So lunchtime would come and we'd, we'd listen to what Fab had for us. So it, it's, um, you know, that, that in the mentor joint, when I try to talk about no school rules, like I mean that. Like I wanted it to get to the point 
where literally we we just don't care. And that takes work. That takes work. That takes the older heads going and, and really giving some of this newer music um, an honest listen. Not a, it's not my ever listen and mm-hmm. honest like I'm just listening to some hip hop. Let's see if it, you know, gives me the feels. And it's obviously it's going to take for the younger cats to be like, a word, super lover scene, casting over Rudd. I'll give it a shot. And just see what happens, you know, because I just think like, man, you know, it's, it's four beats to a bar. Right. You know what I mean? It's like how much variation, you know, is really possible. You know, at the end of the days, it's, it's, it's about ideas. And if we can go and, and look and if some of those ideas are dated, Let's analyze it. Let's look at the dates. Let's let's look at how people dealt with stuff before you had cell phones and how the cats get, you know, pull a girl before you had Tinder. You right. know what I mean? Like it's 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 still there. It's still there. Like it, this. Okay, Tinder, you swiped. You got to meet her, right? right. You got to talk. talk to her, gotta right? Talk, yeah. So I don't know. Um, hear how Rick talks to girls when they buy them slices of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> You know, my my favorite uh, line about Rick uh, Slick Rick was uh, by uh, Joel Ortiz when he said, uh, "Slick talk to the track." Who brought that to the game? And I yeah. was like, "That's true. We did. That's true." Joel's a monster too. Yeah, shout Joel's, out to that brother. Yeah, he got bars. Um, uh, Breeze, man, it's been an honor to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of your work. Uh, yeah, the voice, you know, the the flow, the. The, the, the rhyme pattern, everything is incredible about what you do. And I appreciate that you took the time to talk to me on Library Rap, Hip Hop Interviews with Tim Anikel. Uh, the new album, Hindsight. Thanks so much, man, for being with me. Man, thank you, Tim. Appreciate you, my brother. Yeah. You upset, that's fine, I hear you Don't make sure you get stupid, dude You wet behind the ears, don't make it wet through it Damn, come on, my man, stop, enough I'm just mad that your ass is old Like grandpa Full of mentor, up in them old timers be stuck Full of mentor, down and for sure, young ends be clowns Full of mentor, up in them old timers be stuck Full of mentor, down and for sure, young ends be clowns Old school, no clue, new school, dudes, dudes Old school, so cool